Blog Talk Radio. Hear ye! Welcome to the Osomology Podcast, presented by AccessFilms.com. Osomology is the study of things that are awesome. Here we talk about things we love, things we don't love, and things we find interesting. The show is hosted by Ben Wiggins of Access Films. And now, hear ye, hear ye. The Academy of Awesomeology is now in session. Hear ye, hear ye. We are once again in session. Welcome back to the Awesomeology Podcast, folks. I am your host, Ben Wiggins, and I am joined today by Michael Maciel from Texas A&M University in College Station, Texas. Michael, how are you doing today? Uh, um, I was commenting so, uh, on how dorky your introduction to your podcast is. So you and I are here today to talk about we're, the title of this podcast is the Aggression Podcast, and naturally in in uh, the context of aggression in 2015, we're talking about guns and Donald Trump. So uh, you sent me an interesting email. I think we've talked about gun control on this podcast before, and I think you had you had some good insights into why American gun homicides are so much higher than they are among other developed countries, even other developed countries that have guns. You cited the fact that, you know, everyone of legal age in Switzerland owns a gun. And in many cases, this gun is a high-powered military-issue weapon. Um, Despite this, Switzerland does not have the incidence of gun violence that the United States does. I I don't know if, like, Switzerland per se may not be the best uh, may not be the best example just because the Swiss are such peaceful people. And also it's a really rich country. Um, but it, but the, the, the concept holds across a variety of different countries. We're just, we have much more gun violence here than other developed countries. Our gun violence numbers make us look like a developing country. And I wanted to get your preliminary thoughts. Uh, you, you obviously had a lot to say about this, but, uh, as we jump in, what are your thoughts on kind of what got us here? Um, actually, this is the first time you and I spoke about this. I don't know what you're talking <laughs> about. Uh, you're such a liar. I am. Um, well, I, I don't know if um, – I, I, I want to start out by, by saying that statistics are indicating that uh, gun violence is actually decreasing in the United States. and so, you know, as, you know, we start wringing our hands about the troubles that we're having, we also need to take a reality check and say that, you know, we're in a state of flux. So, you know, any generalizations we make today may not apply a year from now. Mm-hmm. Right. That said, um, um, I forgot the question. I was too busy harassing you. <laughs> why, why do we have so much more gun violence here than everybody else does? <laughs> you know, I don't rightly know the answer to that. And, and the reason I'm, I'm starting out that way is, uh, I just um, I think that we have a different culture, you know, and so there's we're trying to compare apples and oranges, you know. Is is there another culture like the United States where so much of our growth was based upon being able to either aggressively take over something or defend ourselves, you know, as we you know transversed across the nation and you know colonizing and you know colonizing and taking over from east to west. Uh, we're we're still in that you know kind of expansion mentality, you know, Right. Uh, give me you know let's have this conversation a hundred years from now where 
there's no more expansion, you know, that the United States, you know, is is experiencing. And, you know, it, it may have changed, but I think culturally we're, we're still that, um, you know, westward hoe and uh, culture. Right. I, I agree with that. And I, I you know, it's something I just thought of as you were, as you were saying that America is built on a fairly, on a fairly libertarian idea, which is, I, you know, I'm going to go, there's, there's all this opportunity out there. I'm going to find the best possible place for myself to go, you know, to go make a bunch of money or whatever it is that I'm after and realize the American dream. Um, and, in the process, I'm going to kind of, you know, live and let live with other people who are trying to do the same thing. But the execution of that idea has 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 been a little bit has has not been particularly libertarian. But going so as we dig into this, uh, so America is the land of opportunity. But I think a lot of people in the you know in the modern world are finding that they're either not receiving the opportunities that they had hoped for, they are not able to bring those opportunities to fruition, or you pointed out uh, an issue with the government and with law enforcement. And I do think that there is some tie-in, as as we discussed yesterday, I I do think that there is some tie-in with people's distrust of the police and all all the stuff that's going on with law enforcement recently. But I don't know that that explains it all. What I think the issue actually is, the, the primary issue, and I think you were the one who put it into these words, that Americans have this sense of entitlement about what the phrase, the land of opportunity, actually means. And what we think, it, the way we hear land of opportunity, and our brain hears it as land of success. And that's not the way things are. And not everybody, you know, not everybody gets what they're after. All you get is an opportunity. And I think that a lot of people who, and, you know, a lot of, a lot of the gun violence that we see, although certainly not all of it, especially recently, but a lot of the gun violence that we see is from um, people who are sometimes through no fault of their own, not as well adapted to succeed in modern American society. Again, often through no fault of their own. But, uh, but I do think that the land of opportunity, there, we make some assumptions as American people about what that means. What do you think about that? Right. Well, um, I'm, I'm going to reference back to a movie that was Harrison Ford and Brad Pitt were in called The Devil's Own. And in uh-huh. it, uh, yeah, Brad Pitt Brad Pitt makes a comment. He says that one of the difference between, you know, United States citizens and people from Europe is that U.S. citizens always expect a story to have a happy ending. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and, and this is where I, uh, this is what I'm addressing when I talk about a sense of entitlement. We, uh, we really do expect, with a, you know, capital E underlying twice, you know, we expect, we demand that every story have a happy ending. And as right. a result of that, when our personal stories don't have happy endings. You know, we're, we're faced with that situation of either we get over it, you know, and right. you and I spoke about, you know, personal experiences on your part where, you know, things that happened in your previous career where, you know, you weren't treated fairly. And since then, you know, you're, you're in the process of getting over that sense of frustration mm-hmm. that you weren't treated fairly. And so th- that's the healthy case. 
and then the non-healthy cases, those individuals can, can never get past that. And I use right. just the example that uh, news uh, that um, news channel reporter that two years after he got fired, he still hadn't you know reconciled with the fact that he got fired and that he'd been treated unfairly. Two years later, you know he moves across from the the TV channel uh, station, and for two years he's just premeditates you know, how he's going to avenge this unfair treatment, you know, and versus you who, you know, two years, three years later have said, one, it's unfair, two, I'm getting over it, you know. So, right. you know, I, I think it's, you know, I think that expectation that we will be treated fairly and that every story will end, you know, with, you know, a happy ending um, is, is kind of a mental block for us sometimes as U.S. citizens that some of us don't have the uh, mental training the mental ability, I'm not sure what, you know, what the proper phrase is, to move beyond that. And uh, I, I think that more than the weapon itself, I think that's the root of, um, of, of, of violence, gun violence. We even talked about right. that, Ben, about the fact that, you know, we can talk about examples of violence with use of knives, you know. Um, and what makes gun violence stand out is that, you know, guns, rifles, any kind of, you know, that kind of weapon is, is such a more efficient killer that the numbers are generally much larger than, you know, the person that goes, you know, nuts with, with a, you know, machete knife. And so right. that's, what, that's what puts it on the television, you know, screen faster and brighter. But, um, right. again, you know, I just go back to the fact that Americans expect happy endings, and we now need to teach ourselves that happy endings don't always happen. I mean, we've uh, we've had the Korean War, the Vietnam War, you know, the Iraqi War as proof that we don't always win things outright. Right. No, no question. And and you're of course you're you're of course referring to uh, Vester Flanagan who shot the, the reporter and the cameraman. The, uh, camera, yeah. Uh yeah, several several weeks ago. The main question that I have kind of coming out of our discussion yesterday and is is this is it good to teach our kids happy endings like is is disney and kind of the the culture of disney i i think that there are certainly some lies inherent in that some of them are you know some of them are lies about career and vocation and some of them are lies about romance um you know, they kind of, and they all lived happily ever after. The, the fairy tale aspect of of the Disney stories it, are those things healthy for our kids? Well, then because I, I think that there's good. Then we always speak in terms of black and white. You know, and and, and you're doing it now. It's like, do we teach them this or not? You know, it's right. life is not. You know, life is not fair. That's you know from the road less traveled. Life is not black or white. And I think what, you know, and not having any children of my own, I think that what we need to do is that we need to teach our mentees, you know, mm-hmm. that, you know, one, it's we need to have the tenacity to realize a happy ending. And two, we need to have the maturity to accept when that ending's not, you know, not not going to come, not going to come about. Um, I right. we teach other ones, zeros and ones, and I think we need to teach them everything else in between. How many times have you been kicked in the shin, you know, and just sat there moaning about it versus how many times have you been kicked in the shin and said, I've got to get up and do something? And well, I've, I've been just, kicked in the shin a dozen times in the past year by you alone. So, 
Well, that, um, and that's true. But, that's true. but you know, but but the point is, the matter is that you know, you're one of those individuals that every time you get kicked down, you know, it's it's a learning experience for you as opposed to a shutting down experience. And I think I think that's what we need to teach people. It's it's called the ability to be uh, um, risk. Oh, I can't even remember the right term now, but it's the fact that we we willingly accept risk and the consequences that come about from risk. And if we venture yeah. out and we fail, then we don't fail, period. We fail, comma, and we learn from that. Yeah. So the question I'm asking, I, I guess, I, I think is, is a little less broad. Is it good to – is it good to I, – I completely agree with everything that you just said. What I'm wondering is if we if we back it out a little farther than that. If you're dealing with you know your four year old or whatever, do you let you do you do you let your four year old kid watch Cinderella? Um, yes. And if you if you and then so then after that you have a conversation with them about if life is not always like this. Well, first of all, you have a conversation that Cinderella is very uh, gender biased. You know. Uh, and second of all, and, and, it's, and I'm being serious because we're sending several wrong messages with that movie, as well as we're sending several positive. Again, that's that gray yeah. area, right? But but you know we uh-huh. do have that conversation afterwards that says, look, this ended, this this ended appropriately. You know, this ended well. But you know, how would you deal with this? And is the four year old mature enough? You know, you put it in four year old language and four year old you know understanding. But you know, mm-hmm. what what would you do if it didn't end this way? If you were you know, if you were this character, and it, you know, you didn't meet Prince Charming, mm-hmm. you know, what would you do? What would your next step be as opposed to the end? Well, uh, it's it's a it's a difficult question because the world was, you know, I mean, the 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 kind of Renaissance or medieval world that this is that this story is built around. There was a lot less. There was a lot less freedom to, you know, to basically do something else. Um, you were sort of born into a very specific set of cir- circumstances, and if your fortunes changed significantly, as Cinderella's did before she met the prince, um, then there, especially as a woman, there there wasn't a lot that you could do about it. But in in this day and age, like if you, you know, if you if there was a particular you know, you you say as a as a young girl, you meet someone that who is kind of who kind of functions as a prince charming for you, and then it doesn't work out. I think the answer in today's world is a fairly simple one. You move on with your life as you intended to move on with it before you met that guy, um, and you have a plan. Like my my dad gave me some really good advice. Um, I don't know, this was years ago. He said in professional terms. Uh, you know, career terms, vocational terms, the best thing to do is always to have a plan for the rest of your life. And then in terms of your career today, you live the first day of that plan for wherever it is that you are um, in, in, in personal career. terms. Right. And in, 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 yeah, in terms of your career in personal terms, things are a little bit different. I think it's better to be in the moment a little bit more in your personal life and to just kind of let things happen as they will and be yourself and not try to make your personal life, you know, what you would like it to be, but just kind of allow it to become what it is. I think you what really have to listen. He is, he's a baby boomer. He was born in 53. Okay. Um, so but, that, that advice is very, uh, very uh, specific to that generation. 
Mm-hmm. And I, I just want to point that out because being on the border between, you know, the baby boomers and, you know, the, the hippie generation, a lot of people would suggest that, you know, you're, you don't have the knowledge on day one of what your, you know, your career plan is really going to be versus, you know, back, oh, sure. in, back in the 50s. You know that that really was the case. I mean, I think about the Japanese culture, where for how many generations you had a jo- you had one job or you worked for one company for your entire right. life, and even within that society, that rule's changing now. So, I just I don't know sure. if that rule still applies. You know that advice still I, applies. I, it, let me let me elaborate on it a little bit, and I, I think you'll I, I think it'll be I, I wasn't completely clear. The 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 plan that you know that may change even in very, very significant ways. For example, um, you know, the the changes that I've made in my own life. You've had three um, you careers know, in, your, in your mid-30s. Uh, yeah. 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 That's, uh, that's right. So, yeah, you know, but so, nevertheless. So anyway, so, uh, you know, it's like, you know, what kind of plan, I mean, is your plan career-specific or is your plan life-specific is what I'm asking. And we're really it, getting it, off the gun topic here, by the way. No, no question. Uh, it's it's life specific is is the is the answer to that question. And you're anytime you're choosing a career, it, you want to think of it in terms of several factors. You want to think of it in terms of how good you are at it, um, how much you enjoy it, how you know how much financial stability and upside is does it involve, and how and then the last factor, which is I think probably the most overlooked one is how well does it fit into the rest of a life that you would want? And so when you're making your plan, and so every morning you think about the plan and maybe you reevaluate it. Like you, like at certain times, you may be reevaluating that plan every day. But then once you've kind of crystallized the plan in your mind, and you don't spend too much time in the morning thinking about this, but as you're getting out of bed, you think, okay, what am, like, what is, what's my plan? And then you just execute the first day of that plan. From a vocational standpoint, I think it's a very sound way to live, even if the plan may change significantly over a period of years or months or sometimes even days. Well, I'm, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna recommend that this be a, you know a discourse for another time because this, sure. you know this this is this is an interesting conversation to have with you, Ben, because I you know I, I find you very premeditated and very spontaneous at the same time. You you truly are an enigma. Um, uh, well, I don't know if I'm that mysterious, but I appreciate you yeah, saying you're, so. You're, well, okay, if you're not that mysterious, you're that annoying. And again, that's my <laughs> shout out to Sunday Stewart. But um, uh-huh. but yeah, this I is definitely it. a conversation for another time, and 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 one yeah. I would like to broach. I mean, I'm not trying to get out of it, but we really are moving away from, uh, you know, um, which the conversation that I suggested, which was let's move away from gun control and start talking about gun knowledge. Right. Yes, and I, I, I agree with you that that is the answer. I, I think that, you know, the right to bear arms is part of the fabric of this country, but... Um, you know, and I go back and, to the example and, of, what was that guy's name, the uh, newscaster that shot those other two individuals? Vester uh, Flanagan, I believe it was his name. And Vester, I go back yeah. to Flanagan. I mean, you look at everything that was done right. You know, he applied, he went in, he purchased a gun, he applied for it legally, he he yeah. waited the, you know, legally amount of time required before he acquired the gun. He got the proper right. licenses. You know, before any of this happened, uh, his 
his office had determined that this man you know had anger issues and had sent him for anger management you know uh, you know counseling so not only did he did he have the proper psychological you know experience but he also apply he also he also lived within the rules of you know gun control in that you don't just go out and buy a gun and you get it 2 seconds later i mean he did everything quote unquote right and he was still a violent person you know, right. so you can't say that gun control is the answer if you use him as, as an example. Um, who was yeah. the guy that was uh, went into the movie theater? He was given the gift of a of a rifle or a gun by his parents. Well, his parents, you know, mm-hmm. um, his parents did everything legally. He was given the gun at a legal age. You know, so again, you know, and again in quotes, he did everything right, and he still was a violent person. So you can't just say, well, hot damn, if, you know, if we applied gun control, you know, if, you know, uh, addendas to this, the t- this would have turned out differently. No, it wouldn't. If I, I would suggest to you that no, it didn't. So we've no, got to go beyond controlling the weapon and start, you know, addressing the topic. Right. And the, the, if you're talking about the Colorado shooting, um, the, the guy's name was uh, James Egan Holmes. Um, but uh, And there have, been, there have been a couple of other uh, movie theater shootings. I think there was one uh, at well, a showing of uh, Tramwreck this year. Um, but, uh, yeah, and, and a lot of that, you know, there's the only way that you could have averted any of those situations or, or changed them in a significant way through gun control would have been to completely take guns away from all private citizens, which I argue is, and I think you'll agree, is not the answer. Um, It's definitely not the answer, and there's several historical reasons for that. Uh, But before we get into that, it's just, you know, I also want to point out that, you know, the other way we could have solved this is if any one of those, you know, people in the audience had had a weapon at the time and taken him out. You know, so... You know, there's that argument. But, you know, historically, I mean, we're talking about, again, a society, the American society, that first of all, most of the people, I know most people, a significant amount of the people that immigrated here immigrated from very, you know, um, totalitarian governments. You know, Mm -hmm. so there was a distrust of the government. You know, um, we have a complete fear of, uh, uh, of invasion. You know, Americans don't like it when we're attacked, you know, on our own country, on our own soil. So, you know, there's we, we also have that culture of the fact that we don't trust the government and we don't trust people coming in here, you know, and, and um, we don't want to be an invaded country. So, I mean, culturally, mm-hmm. you got to look at that, too, you know, which is, and you're not going to get away. That's, you know, you're just not going to get away from that culture. You, you can say that, gee, in a perfect world, but we're not a perfect world. So who do you think the the – onus is on who who does the responsibility for this rest on does this rest on us as a society let's try to drill it down a little bit more than that i mean are we talking about parents here are we talking about teachers are we talking about um like do we want to install some kind of um you know i I don't i don't know what it would be but do we want to install some kind of other like psychological fail safe well let me answer this this way i'm going to answer it by asking you a question Whose sure. responsibility is it, sole responsibility, or does a sole responsibility exist for teaching sex education? I think it's the same thing. The parents can't do it on yeah. their own. Schools can't do it on their own. You know, we've you know we've got to have that kind of societal uh, 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 effort. 
You know, right. you think about during World War Two. I mean, as a society, we voluntarily gave up on, you know, uh, rubber and starch goods and meat and you know, <laughs> metals. You know, to you know, uh, secure our uh, secure our future. And I think we need that kind of mentality for you know, sex education, and we need that kind of mentality for uh, you know, um, gun. You know, for for violence in society, also. Right. I mean, you're asking for who's the, who bears the onus, and I'm going to say, well, that one's easy. Everyone, you know, we need to approach this from a societal point of view. Right. So in terms of if you're dealing with – so if we're talking about just to use Vester Flanagan as an example, what do we as, – as we go forth in our daily lives as American citizens, what do we look to do, you know, that's – one percent different from what we did before that could help prevent tragedies like this. Uh, well, first of all, we have to accept that the tragedy is going to exist for a period of time. It's this isn't going to be tomorrow the problem solved. Okay, I mean, right. I'm I'm saying I mean I, I really want to emphasize that is that we have to accept that this is a long term effort and not a short term one. Second, you uh-huh. know, uh, uh, and I guess this is where my uh, Democrat, you know, my my right wing versus left wing, you know, uh, perspective comes point of view. But we've really got to look at our government, which is probably the only common voice that we have at at present. We got to look at the government to, you know, stop fighting about this issue and start trying to solve this issue. Let's, you know, let's quit using words like you know right wing, left wing, or even bipartisan. You know, damn it, let's just all get together and figure out. You know, let's agree on a plan. And mm-hmm. if that means, and that means compromise, you know, it's, uh, yeah. it, it, and I don't, you know, I, I, I think that we've really got to, you know, put the responsibility on our leadership or, and I don't know if they necessarily want it, you know, there's so much right. buzz going on about gun rights, gun control, you know, uh, what is it, um, right to life, right to abortion that, you know, we're, we're, we're spending too much effort trying to find our sides and try, instead of trying to find, the solution right yeah no that's that that's certainly the case um i will say okay. this and well, and i will say this though and this is just again my my what leftling left side anyway um my my liberal side kind of showing itself but when it comes to civil rights uh time and time again um it's we've we've seen that it's the federal government that is the prevailer uh of civil rights Women's suffrage mm-hmm. came about at the federal level uh, versus the state's level. Um, civil rights came about at the federal level. Um, you know, gay rights came about at the, at the federal level, not at the state level. And so, you know, I would I would challenge our federal government to um, to reconcile this and stop picking sides and just start finding solutions. And I know that's fine in the sky, but that's part of what this conversation's about. So it's worth noting that all of the that the issues that you just mentioned were, I guess you would consider them progressiveness issues. Um, you know, gay rights, women's rights, like uh, all of those things are, you know, thought of as mo- like the, where they are now is thought of as a more modern way of of viewing those issues than where we were previously. What, what I'm, and you could you could make the same argument for you know gun education. I just don't know what. 
I don't know that the, I don't know that it's a direct parallel. Um, and I'm not saying that it should be resolved at the state level because I think we need we need a more complete answer as a nation than saying let the states figure it out. So I agree with you there. But I, I, I don't know that that I don't know that the analogy is perfect. Um, but let's, let's move on. So so we uh, in in, uh, in the theme continuing with the theme of aggression and following on uh, the the uh, Republican uh, the the debate among the Republican presidential candidates. Uh, Donald Trump is turning everybody upside down. Um, he, thankfully, he was put in his place a little bit by uh, Carly Fiorina in the thankfully? last debate. I, yes, thankfully. Okay. Um, but, uh, but I'm, I didn't expect him to really hang around in a serious way this long, but I continue to think that he is not a serious contender for the Republican nomination um, but I admit I've been surprised by just how much effect he's had on the race so far. What are your preliminary thoughts on Donald Trump? Um, well, Donald Trump, um, Carson Fiorino, Fiorino. Um, what's her last name? Anyway, the three of Fiorina. them. Fiorina. Um, the, what, what's significant about all of them is that none of them have held political office, and they're currently the the top three when you look at polls by people that would most likely vote. Um, so mm-hmm. I think that's one thing that comes out of this. You know, as far as Trump himself, um, I think Trump Trump is, and we, we, you know, we spoke about this earlier, Trump's delivering a message that plays off, you know, people's fear and also people, plays off of the United States, um, you know, inherent sense of um, impatience. You know, mm-hmm. using words that say, look, I will solve this problem for you today. I will solve this problem immediately. You know, uh, he's very, he lacks a lot of substance. He won't tell you how he's going to solve them, but he promises you they will be solved immediately. And then he, he does this by um, kind of baiting the fear that people have. And yeah, I think he, that's the secret to success. As, I, I, he strikes me as like either a, like a part of his approach, if you can even call it an approach, it seems very Team America like America, if, yeah, we're going to go kick ass and like I'm going to restore this country to greatness. Um, never, you know, we, and we haven't gotten into any of the details on what that would actually look like, as you mentioned. Um, but then the other side of it is, and I, I mentioned this to you earlier as well, he just seems to be playing a completely different game than everyone else is playing, which to me begs the question. He, I mean, the, the other side of his game is very Kim Kardashian. Like he's, He's making as much noise as possible and drawing as much attention to himself as possible. Um, I, I wonder if this is the approach of a man who really wants to be president or if he's just doing something. I mean, it's obvious he's playing a completely different game than everybody else is. That is certainly true. But what I'm wondering is, is his goal even to get elected or is this all about publicity like is, is is he doing this in the name of you know of selling a bunch of real estate five years down the road or is he doing it to promote a you know is he going to start promoting a, a business uh, you know some some something else like I feel like there is another shoe yet to drop both from Donald Trump himself and from those 
who would do would go to great lengths to make sure he does not get elected, which we'll come back to that part of it. But uh, what are your thoughts on what what does he want out of all this? Well, first of all, uh, I just want to point out that I'm the conspiracy theorist, not you. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and you're you know if you're beginning to sound a lot like me, which kind of has me scared, you know. But uh, mm-hmm. um, if if he has an ulterior plan, you know, we don't know what it is, and I, I don't think we'll know until we know type of you know deal. Uh, but that right. said, uh, you know, why can't it be both? Why can't, you know, I mean, here's a man that, you know, it's, it conceivably is intelligent enough to be strategic about his future. I mean, I mean, he's, it's, to me, this is a no-lose situation for him. You know, if he becomes president, hell, he becomes president. If he doesn't become president, he's still made, you know, enough publicity for himself that uh, his, his his name becomes a product in itself, and he can sell anything then. Yeah, I, I I wonder if he is running to lose, and he's already got the narrative written out and about how you know so and so stabbed him in the back, and you know everyone was against him, and the deck was stacked. But he believes in America and the greatness of America. And by the way, and that's what I'm wondering about what the what is the by the way. Um, but then so then so the next the next thing I want to discuss when it comes to Donald Trump is. The Republican Party does not want Donald Trump to be, and, and when I say the Republican Party, I don't, I don't mean because I, I know you're going to get me on this. I, I don't mean the constituency. I'm talking about the the players in the Republican Party want to make sure that Donald Trump does not get the Republican nomination. And Nate Silver has said that the party is very willing to change the rules if it has to to make sure that that Trump does not get nominated and legally and politically they have the power to do that what are your thoughts on how this would work and uh and do you think that there is a realistic possibility that Donald Trump if he wins could still not get the nomination Steve Jobs that's my answer and by that, what I mean is that when, you know, Steve Jobs and, you know, for that matter, Bill uh, Bill Gates came out with the sense, you know, the, with the uh, concept of the personal computer, IBM was uh-huh. making the argument that uh, Atari was making the argument for that matter also that uh, personal computers were not the way of the future. And, uh-huh. uh, you know, what, 10, 12, 15, I don't know how long it's been, years later. And, in fact, you know, uh, not PCs are not the way of the future. It's it's tablets now, but it's it's very much in trend with what Jobs and Gates were were promoting at the time. Um, uh-huh. I think that people are afraid of change. Yeah, well, I'm. I mean, I'll tell, I'll say it right here on the air. I'm afraid of Donald Trump, and if he gets the, uh, you know, if he starts getting the vote, and the Republican Party decides that they're going to do something, you know, that that they're going to rig the process such that he doesn't. He is such that he can't win. Um, I'm I'm not opposed to that. I, I've never. Well, then, and if, I mentioned then are you. you opposed to the Jim Crow laws, which were the way that you know people were you know uncomfortable with you know uh, African Americans having the right to vote, you know, or, or the literacy tests, you know, the same thing. I mean, just, you know, I understand what you're saying, but what you're saying is also very dangerous from a you know historical point of view. I mean, and you say that you're uncomfortable with Trump, but what about Fiorina and what about Carson? I mean, if, if for some reason they wind up eclipsing Trump and having the most delegates, you know, to on the first vote get the nomination, 
you know, would you accept them versus is it a Trump issue with you or is it a God, I got to have someone's already in the Republican Party issue with you? Oh, it's no, it's it's a Trump issue. It is. Okay. I think that that guy is. As you know, as I mentioned, I think he's he is up to something, and we still don't know what it is. Um, and uh, and until his agenda becomes clear, I am I I I have serious concerns about what could well, happen to the country if he became. Well, let, me, if, let me say for the record that I am not a Trump you know supporter in, in all means. Am I having fun watching Trump doing what he's doing? Yes, but you know, and mm-hmm. and, and in that in that sense of fun, okay. Right. Can you imagine what the rest of, how the rest of the world's going to, you know, respond when when Trump becomes the Republican uh candidate or when Trump becomes the United States president? You talk about the game change the rules changing in the game overnight. I mean, here's an individual. Fiona Arena has this right, uh this capability too and so does uh Carson. You know, you talk about the world just going, What you know, WTF you know how right. they, you know it's so you know there's 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 some fun in the fact that you know bitch about you as much as we might we as opposed to you but we might about you know Trump's you know uh um eligibility and ability to do the job but Americans have always been known for you know really gumming up the works and having him as president would be a perfect you know a, a historical you know consistency <laughs> well, that that's certainly true. I, I think I, I God in my bless opinion, America, you know. Well, yeah, God bless America, indeed. There's, in my opinion, like Fiorina and Carson are just that. Those those two are a horse of a different color. Like I, I think that there's something interesting about both of them as candidates. I, I don't know that either of them would make a particularly strong president, but um, but I but I would be if the if the country elected them, I would say go with God and let's see what you can do. Um, and that's kind of, and at some level, that's kind of the libertarian in me. Like, and I don't know what it is about Donald Trump that uh, that well, makes me so concerned about you know because I'm as as I've said you know half a dozen times on this show I'm I'm a libertarian. So what difference does it make to me? I don't know. Donald Trump just yeah. makes me nervous. Like I feel like I, mean, I don't and he know does what me he's too. doing, and that and yeah. he does me too. But I mean, here's a guy that I mean has has. You know, and rather, and he'll say that he's never, but but has been involved in three different bankruptcies, and the man still keeps landing on his feet, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Now, if we if we you know if we took that description and applied it to anyone else, I mean, I applied it to you, Ben, earlier. I said, <laughs> look, you know, you've had three different careers and you landed on your feet, and yet right. you know we and. God, you know, God bless Ben. Look at, you know, how much of a success he's been. Look at how mentally healthy he is. And then suddenly mm-hmm. we're saying this about Trump, and now and, and now we're anti that. You know, so, you know, I, just, I, I think that we, again, and we, now let me just say, I think I am being very unfair when uh, I say that, you know, I don't want to see Trump as a president when, I you know, I can see within myself that I'm not applying the rules, you know, consistently, you know, to him as I am to you. What I'm saying, you know, regarding Trump is that I I just want to see where this winds up. Well, you know, mm-hmm. you know, will I move out of the country if Trump becomes president? Probably. <laughs> you know, he scares me. But you mm-hmm. know, I just I just really have to look at at just what this man is doing. I mean, who would have ever thought that he or Carson or Fiorina could ever get this far? 
and by not being part of an establishment, the GOP, which is very establishment-centric. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, it's it's very impressive. Um, he's uh, he's made uh, he's made a tremendous amount of I don't know if we can call it progress, but a tremendous amount of headway certainly. You know, um, and, and again, I, I keep going back to this. I mean, you know, his success is based upon the people that support him, right? What does it say right. for the American culture at this point? Yeah, it's. I, I'd be interested to see some demographics on you know on folks who say they would vote for him. That's that's certainly that's certainly true. I heard, um, and it was but, on CNN, that CNN's, uh, it was Wolf Flitzer, as a matter of fact, it was talking about the fact that, you know, he was surprised at how many, uh, he was not surprised at how many non-educated people supported Trump, but he was surprised at the amount of educated people that supported Trump. And that that uh-huh. disturbed me because, you know, it's like, God, you have to be stupid to support someone, you know? Um, and right. And to me, you know, I just, I always kind of balk at elitism. You know, that, it, probably what Wolf Blitzer was saying was true, but it, it did make me bulk a little. No question. Well, thank you, uh, thank you to our listeners for tuning in, and uh, we will uh, we will catch up with you next week on the Academy of Ophthalmology. Thanks, Michael, for your time, and we look forward to uh, we look forward to having you on again. Talk to you later. All right. Cheers. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Ophthalmology Podcast. For more information, check out accessfilms.com. Follow us on Twitter at underscore awesomeology and like our page at facebook.com forward slash academy of awesomeology. Follow your host on Twitter at Benjamin Wiggins and feel free to like his page at facebook.com forward slash access Ben Wiggins. Be sure to check out the Access Films podcast as well on accessfilms.com forward slash radio. The Academy is adjourned. Thank you.